everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Jordan Alvarez is something else, isn't he? Does it at the plate? Does it with his defense? And it's just already became, become rather, one of the best players in Major League Baseball. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parks III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the game studios, as always, by the producer extraordinaire, Ms. Hannah Five Names. We got a great show lined up for you today. Three guests all on the back half end of the show. Ron Higgins, the mad dog from Tiger Details, is going to give us the latest updates on all things LSU. His thoughts on Brian Kelly and how he's handling recruiting. Baseball and Jay Johnson and what he's been able to do inside the transfer portal and more. That'll be coming up at 7.30. At straight up 8 o'clock, Bill Bender, the award-winning columnist reporter from the Sporting News, will be joining us, giving his thoughts and insight on the latest involving the fluid situation that is the college athletics landscape with realignment. And at 8.30, Eric Heisman from the Locked On Astros podcast is going to talk to us all about them Stros who have now won eight straight. And that's where we're going to begin today's show. Woo! 9-7 victory. I said it last week, and I said it earlier this week when we took to the air yesterday morning, Tuesday. The Royals were going to give the Stros everything they could handle. It just it just matches up that way. Kansas City, the way they play the game is a bad matchup for Houston to begin with. They're not an overpowering team. They don't have a bunch of boppers in the lineup. They play a little bit old school, a little bit of a small ball type of approach to the game. And that tends to give the Strohs issues. So even though they had won, went 7-2 and two against the New York teams and then swept the Angels, we knew that Kansas City was going to give Houston everything they could handle. They had to come from behind to win the first game on Monday, on the 4th of July. And then last night, they had their hands full again. But yet, the Strohs found a way. 9-7 victory. Eighth straight win. They improved to 53-27 and 27 overall on the season. And the big fella, the Cuban sensation, Jordan Alvarez. Boy, he put on a show. Put on a show. He threw out Hunter Dozier at the plate from just short of the warning track in left field. That helped preserve a two-run eighth-inning lead. Then he hit his 25th home run of the season as the Strohs beat the Royals 9-7. to Astros, of course, also got home runs from Jeremy Pena, 
the rookie sensation. Alex Bregman, former LSU star who continues to turn a corner. And Aldemus Diaz. It's a major league best eight game winning streak, by the way. Houston trailed this ball game four to three entering the fifth. That's before Pena homered off former Stro Zach Grinke to tie it. Bregman's two-run shot later in the fifth put the Stros ahead 6-4. to four. And then came the eighth inning, which was nothing but Alvarez. Brian Abreu, base-loaded walk of Michael A. Taylor, got the Royals within two. Uh-oh. A little anxiety started to build up inside Astros fans. And when I say Astros fans... I really only mean Kevin Foote. Philmon took over, and Nick Lopez hit a deep fly ball that Alvarez was able to catch and fire on the fly to catcher Martin Maldonado, who tagged out Dozier for an inning-ending double play. Those are rare. So Alvarez catches the ball for one out and is able to throw the guy out for the second to not only get the double play but end the inning. By the way, we've talked about this before, Maldonado. I've brought up before, should he be a gold glove winner? He just continues making special plays. Special plays. And, you know, and the great thing about Alvarez is that, remember, he began his big league career for the Strohs as primarily a designated hitter. They knew he could hit. They didn't think he could field very well. But he's been splitting time this season between designated hitter and Manning left field. And he's put in the work. He's put in the work to get to this point of being an asset on defense. Because he's got a cannon of an arm. He just does. Absolute cannon of an arm. And then he hits the home run to left center. To make it 9-6, of course. Chance of MVP rained down on the slugger as he rounded the bases. His 25 home runs are tied with Kyle Schwarber from Philadelphia for second in the majors, four behind New York Yankees slugger Aaron Judge. He's going to give Judge a run for his money. If they're both healthy, they both keep on the pace that they're at. I still think you're going to see Aaron probably win most valuable player. But Jordan Alvarez is going to make it close. Luis Garcia was not great. Let me say that again. Luis Garcia was not great. He gave up five runs on eight hits, lasted six and a third, but... It was good enough to pick up his fourth straight win. And Zach Grinke, former Stro, fans liked him, team liked him. Pitched really well for Houston. Uh, they showed him absolutely no mercy in this dojo. As he returned to the big juice box, tied a season high, allowing 10 hits with six runs and only five innings in his first start against Houston since signing with the Royals in the offseason. Spent two and a half years with the Strohs going to the World Series in 2019 and last year. Classy move by the Strohs. 
They did play a video honoring his time in Houston while he warmed up and then capped it by playing John Anderson's Seminole Wind, which was his warm-up music. So it's a nice, classy kind of tip of the hat to a former player. And then they promptly went out there and shelled him and said, love you, bro, but no. We need to go out here and get this uh, this W. 9-7 victory for Houston. Dusty Baker with the win. Now ties Walter Alston for ninth all-time among managers with 2,040 career wins. A win today puts him slowly in eighth place. So Dusty keeps climbing the all-time wins list. For Major League Baseball skippers. Also, good news for the Astros, in addition of winning the ballgame. Lance McCullers Jr. Boy, it sure does feel like he's going to get back into the rotation probably right after the All-Star break. That's what it feels like. He's been out all season with the forearm injury. He threw another live batting practice session on Tuesday before the game. He threw about 30 pitches, and Baker said he'll do that a couple more times before moving to a simulated games. A lot of his teammates were out there watching him as well. Based on that type of information, he's looking good. He looks good. Looks like he's ready to go. So not only are the Strohs... Have they won eight straight games? They're one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. They took down the Yankees. They took down the Mets. Jordan Alvarez is having an MVP-like season. They have a five-man deep rotation. They already got Jake Odorizzi back. Now it appears that Lance McCullers Jr. is making great progress, going to take that next step, and he's going to start throwing simulated games. It just keeps getting better for the Strohs. And Bregman continues to get better as well, which is a huge shot in the arm for the lineup. If they can stay healthy with the guys they have, but Bregman, who continues to climb his average, starting to find his stroke, so to speak, after his worst slump of his career, whether it was college or in the big leagues, that's going to make them even more of a formidable opponent. Tonight, the two teams will tussle at Minute Maid Ballpark. Game three of this four-game series. First pitch will begin, of course, at 7-10. Christian Javier, 6-3 and three on the season, 2.58 ERA, and who has struck out 27 batters in his last two starts, which, by the way, is good is going to be taking on Brad Keller, who's 3-9 and nine on the season with an ERA of 4.24. First pitch, 7-10. Astro launch with Robert Ford and Steve Sparks, of course. We'll begin at 6.35. You can listen to all the action live right here on the game. We got to take a timeout. We'll talk more about the Astros' win over the Royals coming up and unveil the 
poll question of the day, which is our foodie poll question of the week. You're listening to RP3 and company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, the Houston Astros are one of the hottest teams in baseball, and you can see them live in person. That's right. You can be there inside Minute Maid Ballpark and watch the Strohs crush the faces of their opponents. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Seattle Mariners, the fighting Hannah Five Nameses, on Saturday, July 30th, and you can be there. Hannah will probably be there. JPK, the OD, will likely be there. Diehard Seattle Mariners fans that they are. But you want to be there. We want to hook you up. Go register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Once again, four tickets, tour the ballpark, hotel accommodations that Saturday night to see the Houston Astros take on the Seattle Mariners on Saturday, July 30th at Minute Maid Ballpark. But you can only win this by becoming a member of our clubhouse. So go sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. Astro Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Lay Meridian, Houston Downtown, and The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Speaking of those Astros, once again, they won last night. Jordan Alvarez showed off the glove work, throwing somebody out for a double play. He also hit another home run in a 9-7 victory over the Kansas City Royals as they roughed up their former teammate Zach Grinke in his return to Houston. They did do a nice video montage and played his you know, warm-up music before the game, and then they crushed his face during the game. Which, look, that's what you're supposed to do. But another person in last night's game, it just wasn't all Jordan Alvarez, was, of course, Alex Bregman, who has seemingly turned a corner after a historic rough start to the season for the former LSU star. He's finally starting to kind of, it feels like, turn a corner. Now, the glove works there, but the batting average has not been. And last night, he went three for five, two runs scored, two ribbies. And his average is now up to 244 after it was below 220 just a few weeks ago. So it feels like Breggs is finally kind of turning it around, so to speak. And his skipper, a man who continues climbing up the all-times wins list, and has seen a lot of great hitters, has managed a lot of great hitters, had this to say about Alex Bregman. Yeah, I mean, like I, I mean, like I said before, Alex has been swinging good for a couple of weeks now, you know, and so, and water, you know, seeks his own level. I mean, there were, you know, there were times when he was hitting the ball hard and getting nothing to show for it, and now he's getting stuff to show for it, you know, quite as kept. I mean, he's like third on our team in ribbies. I think he has 40-something ribbies now. And he's knocking on 250, so, you know, sky's, sky's the limit, and uh, he's going up in all departments. The ribbies is important because I'm old school, and so is Dusty Baker. I like RBIs. Uh, the analytical new school nerds tell me I shouldn't, and that batting average doesn't matter, but they do. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Breggs himself you know, was asked about the offense 
kind of picking up for himself after such a slow, sluggish start to the season? Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, you know, that's part of it. Uh, over the course of the season, sometimes the offense is going to have to pick up the team and sometimes the pitching is going to have to pick us up. And um, I think that's one thing that's great about this ball club is we can uh, win games in so many different ways. That was Bregman actually talking about the team's offense picking up after a slow start. But he's part of that. And part of that is his plate approach. Has he changed it? Or did he just powering through, so to speak, and just knowing that you know his approach is right, he just has to execute it? And this is what he had to say. I feel great. Um, you know, just trying to swing a good pitch as a hit and put good swings on him and yeah, just looking for pitches that are in the strike zone to swing at and not swing at balls that are a few inches below the zone like my last at bat. So Bregman is nearing 250 with the average, third on the team in ribbies now. Look, you don't need him to be a 300 hitter. His glove work alone at third base is valuable enough. But if you could have Alex Bregman hit around 275, 280, man, I, it, that that's going to be the sweet spot. And it sure does feel like he's trending in that direction. Last night, obviously, three-hit ball game for Breggs. Two runs scored, had the home run as well. And he uh, got most of that against his former teammate, his former buddy, Zach Grinke. And what was that like having to face a former teammate? You know, it was weird, um, but he's an unbelievable teammate. He's yeah. a Hall of Famer, just a, a great guy. And, you know, it's definitely always uh, weird facing guys that you're friends with and, and uh, have loved competing with over the years. It's got to be a weird feeling, right? Because it's, it's not like what would happen in everyday civilian life with us. You know, if one of us leaves the radio station and goes to another radio station, we may be competing in, say, the ratings, but we're not going head-to-head in an actual competition. If you're a parts runner and you decide to, you know, one of your friends and your colleagues decides to go, you know, work for another parts running company, yes, you're competing against each other for business, but it's not as if you're facing each other every day. Right, this is a unique thing where baseball is 162 games, and you spend the entire year with this guy, and he's your teammate, and you're on the planes and on the buses and in the dugout with him, and you develop these close bonds, and then all of a sudden, because professional sports is just that professional, which means they're a business, then you have to face that person. It's an interesting dynamic for professional sports, which is which is intriguing to me. Bregman seems to be on his way, turning things around, so to speak, as the Strohs pick up win number eight, their eighth straight win, win number 53 on the season. Bregman goes, of course, once again, three for five with two runs and two ribbies in the ballgame. His average is now up to two 44 slugging is up to 417 on base percentage 359 so those numbers continue to slowly climb higher and higher and if he continues to improve watch out watch out
Just really need him to be hitting around 275. And the Astros will be a gravy train on biscuit wheels. Once again, Strohs play tonight against the Royals. Game three of this four-game home series. First pitch, 7-10. Astro launch. That's Astros pregame. 6-35 with Robert Ford and Steve Sparks. It's time for us to unveil our foodie poll question of the week. We do it every Wednesday. Oh, you thought the holiday on Monday was going to throw a monkey wrench into our foodie poll question of the week? Not so fast. It's summertime. Just wrapped up the 4th of July weekend, which means a lot of fellas out there listening right now talking to you. That's right. You right there. Yeah, you're driving. Talking to you. You love to grill. What's your go-to, though? Because certain men and ladies grill a certain way. Some of you only grill with charcoal. It's the only thing that you believe in. You make your little pyramid of charcoal briquettes underneath your grill. You light it. You wait about 45 minutes for it to get nice and hot. Then you spread it out so you can get a nice, even, even heat. And you like the taste of the charcoal. Right? Tastes a little bit different. Some of you prefer the convenience of gas grilling. Hey, RP3, I can just open up the canister, light that bad boy, and I'm good to go in a couple minutes. I can throw my steaks on there, my burgers, my dogs, my brats, even my vegetables. Others prefer wood, not charcoal, not gas, but wood. Using your wood chips. A lot of you got to get to look fancy with the hickory chips. The whole nine yards. That's a whole different. And look, all three different ways are great, but they're all wildly different. Like, you can't take the same principles that you use to grill up food on your charcoal grill and try to use it on your gas grill or try to use it on a wood grill. They're all three distinctively different. And typically, fellas have one particular thing they prefer to use. That's our foodie poll question of the week. How do you prefer to grill? We want to hear from you. Is it with charcoal? Is it with propane? Is it with wood or is it all of the above? Some of you I know have setups in the backyard where some guys collect sports memorabilia or campers or trucks. Some of you collect grills. You got the big green egg. You got your charcoal grill. You got your smoker. Yeah, you got your gas grill. You got the whole setup. Some of you, that's your passion. We want to hear from you. How do you prefer to grill is our foodie poll question of the week, our poll question of the day. Right now, 40% of you say with charcoal. 40% say, I'm sorry, it's changed now. 60% of you say with charcoal. 20% say with propane, 20% say with wood, no vo- no votes yet for all of the above. JPK, the OD, has chimed in. On real hardwood lump charcoal, not that pressed briquette junk, no lighter fluid. Yeah, see, I don't like using a lot of lighter fluid, uh, fluid as well when I do charcoal because then it's... Uh, 
you taste the lighter fluid. Uh, that's no good. Bonus poll question. How many of my mini apple juice can stuff slab bacon wrapped Cornish game heads could RP3 slay? Bud, probably two of them at least. That looks delicious. Hart says it, it's not listed, but very difficult to compete with a pellet grill. If you ever cooked with one, you know. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, The pellet grill is the greatest invention in grilling. I can grill, smoke, or barbecue with the wood mix of my choice, control the temperature, and cook for hours for just a few dollars in fuel costs. They're awesome. Good morning and back to the grind. Darren says, I'm not fancy. Old school charcoal. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming on the poll question of the day, which is our foodie poll question of the week. We got to take a timeout. During the break, I will kill a bug that's in the producer studio for Hannah Five Names. And we'll come back because she's cowering in fear as we speak. But when we come back, we'll talk more about the ongoing realignment of college sports here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team and Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our new Apple Watch. That's right. You want to look stylish. You want to be able to answer text messages by on your wrist, which I am not coordinated enough to do, but you are. And you want to look cool. And you want to have one of the great gadgets of this year. Brand new Apple Watch. Well, guess what? All you have to do to win the new Apple Watch is join our brand new text club. Simply text the word GAME, G-A-M-E, to 337-288-8100. Once again, that's GAME to 337-288-8100. Once you join, you will become eligible to win an Apple Watch. Plus, You'll have tons of chances to score other great prizes like Houston Astros tickets and more. It's the game's brand new text club where you can win a brand new Apple Watch. Find out more at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. Astros once again winners last night 9-7 to over Kansas City as they roughed up their former teammate Zach Grinke. Jordan Alvarez, the hero with his arm and with his bat. Alex Bregman continues to turn a corner as he went three for five with a home run and two runs scored last night. But let's talk a little college football while we have a few minutes here. It's never going to stop. There's constantly going to be rumors. There's constantly going to be information coming out about realignment, more so than it was last year. Remember last year, it happened right at SEC Media Days. We're almost a year away, a year after the fact, 
when Oklahoma and Texas decided to bolt for the SEC. And we thought there would be massive realignment after that. And there was with the Big 12 recovering and poaching Conference USA and others to survive. And they did that. So that affected the group of five conferences more than anything. Because then the Sun Belt expanded and there was a trickle-down effect there. This one with USC and UCLA bolting the Pac-12 for the Big Ten is going to impact the major conferences more than last year. Because they're not done. Reports coming out from reliable sources yesterday. One, a couple things happened yesterday. One, Big 12 is deep in negotiations behind the scenes to land four Pac-12 schools, including Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado, which make a lot of sense. They're also eyeing Oregon and Washington as well. Also appears from reports that Notre Dame is looking to stay put, not join the Big Ten or any conference for right now, but that could change. You have to love the arrogance involved with the Fighting Irish to always believe that they're better than everyone else. Got to love that even though it's been, what, more than 30 years since they actually won a national championship. But they're a traditional rich program, and they are allowed to do what they're doing. Also, reports coming out, in addition to the Big 12 looking to expand to poach teams away from the Pac-12, which now has lost USC and UCLA, reports are also coming out that the Big 10 is interested in taking more teams away including Washington and Oregon as well. So there's going to be a battle there for that. Stanford will not be left out in the cold. We talked about it yesterday, and I'll touch base on it again. I talked to a couple people I trust up in the Midwest, reporters. They say to me that they're hearing Notre Dame will join the Big Ten, but Stanford has to be part of the package. Now, Notre Dame and Stanford play every year. It's a traditional rivalry for Notre Dame. So not only is the television revenue going to be a sticking point for Notre Dame because they're like, hey, we're going to bring so many people in, but... They say, hey, it's great that all of our rivals are already in the Big Ten, and now you're adding USC, which gets another one of those. But we want the other West Coast rival as well, Stanford, to be added to it. Plus, Stanford brings their academics. So, Big Ten's already added two, UC, uh, USC and UCLA. In that proposal, if you will, in that model of expansion for the Big Ten, They would then add Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and then add Notre Dame. 
So they they would add four more teams to the Big Ten. All of that makes a lot of sense to me. It just does. You want Oregon because of the Nike money. Not because Eugene, Oregon is a great market for television purposes. And I've been told that this is being driven by television decisions. Television markets, of course, are the driving force here. But Oregon is a national brand, plus they have all the Nike money. Washington's interesting. I don't think of them as a huge market. Washington State, beautiful stadium up there. But you would want a travel partner for Oregon. So there's your travel partner. Just like you take USC and UCLA together, boom, you're done there. If the Big Ten, for the Big Ten to get Notre Dame, if it hinges on the fact that they have to add Stanford, they're going to do that every day of the week. Every day of the week. It just makes sense. You get another West Coast team anyway. You already got four other of them in this proposal. So just go ahead and add Stanford. Now you got five. And Notre Dame will have all of its rivals except for Navy in the Super Conference that will become the Big Ten. And you get the crown jewel. But what that does, though, could mean that the Big Ten would be out on adding one of the other teams that they want. Apparently, the Big Ten has their sights set on North Carolina, as does the SEC. I told you guys yesterday about this. While the Big Ten is focusing on the West Coast, and rightfully so, they want to be coast to coast, the SEC, I've been told by multiple people, they're looking at Duke, North Carolina, is tops on their list. Then after that's Florida State. I've heard mixed reports about Miami. I thought Miami is a slam dunk. I've been told that television market in Miami is not great. And that that's what a lot of these decisions are being based on. Now, that may change where you have to settle and you go, okay, if the ACC gets blown up. Clemson is also on that list. So the Big Ten is looking at adding Oregon, Washington, possibly Stanford, and of course, Notre Dame. They also would like North Carolina, but don't want Duke. SEC, meanwhile, has their eyes set for Clemson, Duke, North Carolina as well, Florida State. But then you get into this situation of some teams are going to fall by the wayside, right? If the Big Ten has an opportunity to add teams that they really would like, do they drop Nebraska, who never really feels like they belong in the Big Ten? They're not there for academic reasons. What about the SEC and Missouri? Missouri really doesn't fit in the SEC either, but they wanted it to have the Kansas City and St. Louis markets. Once again, television driving the force there. Missouri more belongs in the Big Ten than it does in the SEC. So you could see some teams being dumped here. I would not be surprised once we get to super conference levels of having 20, 24 teams in the Big Ten and in the SEC. But it's constantly shifting. Then reports come out yesterday. 
while the Big 12 is trying to make a power move here to get themselves stronger by adding Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado, which makes a ton of sense to me for the Big 12. Also, they're in play of trying to get Oregon as well. You have that. But then you also have CBS Sports is confirming that the ACC and the Pac-12 have discussed a loose partnership that could include a championship game in Las Vegas as a way to get ESPN to pay more money. (laughs) That reeks of desperation to me. It just does. What is a loose partnership, first of all? Let's start there. They could end the season with the conferences playing a championship game in Las Vegas. The concept believed to have been proposed by the ACC is seen as a way for the conference's common rights holder, ESPN, to increase the value of their current media rights contracts. By the way, the Pac-12 is trying to renegotiate theirs on the fly during this realignment issue. It's not likely this proposal would have much impact considering that ESPN has cost certainty with the ACC in a contract that lasts through 2036. 2036. The Pac-12, meanwhile, is trying to survive. So alliances, partnerships, both loose and strong, are being put together here. And we heard Adam Spencer last week when he joined us from Saturday Down South. Says he expects some news to break on more realignment, in particular with the SEC, before media days in two weeks. If I'm the SEC, and I'm seeing what the Big Ten is doing, and the Big Ten is going to have its television contract be worth far more than the SEC because of the markets and the type of money that they have being funneled into the Big Ten, particularly by the Big Ten being based out of Chicago and Indianapolis. So there's a lot of money involved, and now they're going to go coast to coast, right? Los Angeles to New Jersey. And they're adding USC and UCLA, and they're going to try to go after Oregon and try to go after Washington and add Stanford and add Notre Dame. Great. Then if I'm the SEC, my focus is going to be Duke, North Carolina. I want Tobacco Road in the SEC. That should be the focus. Everyone wants to focus on Clemson. That's great. Because of football and the football success in particular they've had the last decade. But I got Duke and North Carolina. And I know football moves the needle. I get it. But in particular, North Carolina, who has been good in football, or at least decent enough in football, but you get basketball and you get baseball with North Carolina. I'm going to get Tobacco Road should be a priority. And then you go from there. I think Vitek makes a lot of sense in the SEC. If we're expanding here, go get Virginia Tech. That way you can march a little bit closer towards D.C. up the East Coast as well because that's where the Big Ten is trying. You know, Big Ten has a foothold there with Maryland and Rutgers. Get you Tobacco Road. Get you North Carolina Duke. Get you Vitek. Add Florida State, of course, because, you you know, football drives the engine. But 
That's that's the direction I would go. And then you could, you know, once you get to super conference level and if the ACC is wobbly, obviously Clemson should be a priority. Let me let, let me be clear there. It should be a priority. But I don't know how Clemson thinks of themselves. You know, Clemson could be like, "Well, we'll become an independent." I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past them. But maybe you add Clemson. Clemson, Vitek, Duke, North Carolina, Florida State. It's going to be an arms race for the next few years. And the way I feel it being done within five to maybe seven years, you're going to have three conferences, maybe even two. I don't see how we're going to have five of the, the, the big five conferences last in the next five years. It feels like two of them are going to go away and we're going to be left with three. And two of them are going to be filled with 24 teams each. College athletics. It's all about the athletes. No, it's not. It's all about money. It's all about money. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll update that poll question of the day. Hey, hotline's open. Give us a holler. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes. That's going to help you with your date night with your lady. Like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou, a $50 gift certificate to Half Show Oyster House, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. In addition, once you become a member of our clubhouse, you're going to be able to have the chance to score concert tickets, station swag, and Astros tickets. But you can only score these great prizes to help you with your date night blues by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. Let's check in on the old poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. The vocal stylings of RP3 is free of charge. Poll question of the day. How do you prefer to grill? Overwhelmingly here in hour number one, 63% of you say with charcoal. 15% say, RP3, I like the convenience. I go with propane. You love Hank Hill. I appreciate you. And 11% say with wood. 11% now say all of the above. We got some master grill masters out there. I'm here for all of it. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right around the bend. Get those phone calls in if you want to chat with us. Hotline's open. 337-706-0111. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived. RP3 and company. Hump day edition of the show. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one. You're a host. Joined inside the studio. A bug-free studio now by the producer extraordinaire, Hannah. Five names. Great start to today's show. We discussed Houston Astros winning their eighth straight game, taking down the Kansas City Royals last night. Joran Alvarez. Got a cannon of an arm, displayed it last night as he threw out somebody from essentially the warning track in left field. And then also hit a home run. Alex Bregman got the job done as well as the Shros won their eighth straight as they roughed up their former teammate Zach Grinky in his return to Houston. Once again, they treated him with respect, had a nice video, uh, you know, paying homage to his time in Houston, which included two World Series appearances. Even played his, you know, his warm-up music. Seminal win by John Anderson. And then they promptly went out and shelled him. Say, thank you for your service, bud. Now it's time for you to be sent home packing with an L. Strohs keep right on rolling along and, man, they just one of the best teams in baseball. And Bregman is playing better. The average is nearing 250 now, where it was around 220. He's done uh, massive strides in the last three-plus weeks there. Finally has turned a corner. Feels like he's in the zone, which is what you want. You don't need him to be a 300 hitter. You just need him to be hitting around 275. You get Alex Bregman, the former LSU star, to be batting around 275, you're going to be in good shape. Because that lineup of Altuve and Alvarez, you add a Bregman hitting well, Jeremy Pena, you get Michael Brantley Jr. back. It's nasty. It's absolutely nasty. Shros keep on winning. The landscape of college football keeps on changing. Talked about that a lot in our number one. And we're going to do so some more later on in today's show when Bill Bender of the Sporting News joins us at 8 o'clock. Feels like expansion realignment never ends. You know, a handful of years ago, you had the massive realignment with both the Big Ten and the SEC, right? And the Pac-12. The Big Ten, if you remember... Added Rutgers in Nebraska. The Pac-12 in recent years, they took Colorado away from the Big 12, added it. The SEC, of course, added Texas A&M, Missouri. You know, you had everyone rating the Big 12, which looked like it was going to be on its, you know, deathbed. But it survived the first time being poached, and then Texas 
and Oklahoma decide to leave last year, make their intentions known to join the mighty SEC. And then the Big 12 has to scramble and readjust yet again and find new teams yet again by going, you know, and taking teams from the American and Conference USA. Well, that in turn had a domino effect because it made Conference USA weaker. Sunbelt took advantage of it, made itself stronger. Well, now here we are again. Another year, more realignment. USC, UCLA are headed to the Big Ten. And now you got conferences fighting over the remnants of the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 desperately trying to survive. But the Big 12, which has been raided numerous times, looks to be aggressive here, which I firmly believe is the right move for them. They got to be tired of being picked off over and over again. So they're like, screw it. Let's go pick off the carcass of the what's going to be the Pac-12. Let's go after Arizona, Arizona State. Let's get into that market. Let's go get Utah. Let's go get Colorado. Bring them back to the Big 12. Makes a lot of sense, especially with their footprint geography. With geography now. Because you already added BYU to the conference next year. Go ahead and add Utah. Colorado makes a lot of sense. But apparently the Big 12 is also aggressive as they're pursuing Oregon and Washington, which reportedly the Big 10 also wants. Also reports coming out and people that I trust are telling me Notre Dame does want to go to the Big 10. They're going to want more money, which makes sense because they're Notre Dame. But also apparently a sticking point for them is, hey, Big 10, go get Stanford because they want to keep that rivalry. They already got USC joining the Big Ten. You add Stanford, all of Notre Dame's rivals are going to be in the same conference, except for Navy. All of them. Purdue, Michigan, USC, Stanford, all of them are there. So does the Big Ten go real aggressive and say, okay, we're going after Oregon, Washington, and Stanford, and that way we can add Notre Dame. SEC, meanwhile, has targeted reportedly Duke and North Carolina. Clemson is on their list as well. Florida State. What about Vitek? What about Louisville? They're in the ACC. Makes a lot of sense for the SEC, right? Adding another team from Kentucky. Louisville's good in multiple sports. So this is what it's going to be like. We're going to wake up in a few years and there's going to be either two or possibly three super conferences at all. I think we're eventually going to get to the point within the next decade where there's two conferences, and that's it. The Big Ten and the SEC, and then they decide just to branch off and leave the NCAA altogether. And they just create, essentially, professional leagues, an AFC and an NFC, if you will. It'll be a miniature NFL, and they'll just leave the NCAA altogether. That's what it feels like we're trending towards. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on our guy, Doc, to the show. Doc, good morning to you, brother. I hope your 4th of July was tremendous for you and your family. Bud, what's on your mind? It was very, very nice. Uh, relaxing. Uh, I, I was gonna. I was kind of actually going along those lines. I, I think that it just seems to me like these conferences are going to the point of, of basically two big conferences where you have maybe they have AFC and NFC championship games within their conferences, and then they have a, a Super Bowl, as you would, 
But the other aspect about that would be is, so in Europe and soccer, they have basically academies where, you know, they have youth sports and it, it feeds into the upper levels. And most of these kids are actually on contracts. They're still going to school, but they're playing the professional level. And if football seems to be going in that direction, uh, you know, NCAA completely, um, I just kind of was curious to see if you thought that was, that was kind of where I was going with it. And then if you're paying the kids already, or they're giving the NIL deals, you know, I think if you start going even lower, even at the high school level, where I mean, these kids that are in high school now, I mean, they're transferring from school to school on the local level just to play at certain schools to give them a better chance to go in the, uh, uh, higher up in college ranks right. right now. It's gotten to the point. So, you know, do you think academies would even be a good idea? Um, and kind of just, yeah, along where you were going with that. Doc, appreciate the phone call, brother. I'll answer oh, it. And I'm a charcoal guy. There it is. Thank you, bud. Doc got All in right. on the on the poll question of the day as well. Charcoal guy for Doc. The groundwork's already been laid for what Doc has talked about, and he makes he makes an excellent point about these academies. But but think about what we're doing here in the U.S. with football. Everything has shifted in the last fifteen to twenty years, and and we've talked about this on the air just in the last three years. There is a trickle down effect. When we started seeing players not take part in bowl games, that led us to players opting out of the season. And COVID was used as an excuse, but really they're preparing for the NFL. That's what they're doing. Some of them may have had legitimate fears of COVID-19, but many of them, when Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey made the decisions to opt out of their bowl games to prepare for the NFL draft, that paved the way for more players to do that. And then then it became opting out of the season, which we saw a rash of that with LSU the year after the national championship, right? ton of guys saying, I'm going to save my body for the NFL. So that really kind of pulled the curtain back on this whole farce of being a student athlete. Football players go to college to play football, to get prepared for professional football. That's how it's always been. But now it's just more out in the open. And Doc is right. The NIL money has changed things to a certain degree. And here's the thing. Let me boil it down for you. So it began with opting out of middle-tier bowl games that no one cared about. Okay. Then it became opting out of the season. Okay. Then now it's going to, it's going to get to the point of opting, you know, opting out during the season but then opting out of your entire season. Well, I'm just going to prepare for the draft, okay? Now you got NIL money. And how's that going to impact things? Look, it's going to get to the point where this whole farce of being a student athlete is just going to disappear because it's not going to matter. We have kids right now, because of the advent of 7-on-7, camps we're having guys that are going through the recruiting process and not have to really even matter what they do for their high school football team we're seeing more and more high school football players we're starting to see it this last year or i'm preparing for college i'm not going to play my senior season i'm going to protect myself because i'm a valuable asset 
and I can make NIL money and get a college scholarship. So why would I endanger myself by playing high school? I warned about this when NIL and all these guys started opting out. And I kept getting told, well, no, no. I'm telling you, goalposts keep getting moved on this. If I'm a stud athlete, let's say I'm a six foot four, 200 pound linebacker that can run a 40 yard dash in 4.46 seconds. I hit the camp circuit as a sophomore, as a junior in high school. I got an NIL deal waiting for me. Boom. Hey, RP3, million dollars to come play for us. Here's your college scholarship. Oh, in two to three years, we'll have you in the NFL. I'm telling you, why is the kid going to play for his high school team? We already seen kids start doing this last year, not play their senior season because they were preparing to enter, to go to college because they had NIL money backing them to go. We've seen kids get $1 million NIL paydays before even taking a snap in college. You had the quarterback out of Texas that went to Ohio State. He lasted not even a year, then he transferred out. This is going to be the new world order when it comes to college football in particular. These guys can go through the camp circus, uh, camp circuit in the summer. They don't even have to put together a highlight tape of what they do in high school anymore because the way the colleges are recruiting is different than what it used to be because the colleges are looking for players that can they can send off to the NFL because that's their big thing now. Now, look, you're still going to have some teams that are going to recruit guys that are two stars and three stars that want to come to college, that want to be a student athlete, that want to get that degree. You're still going to have that. Absolutely. And I applaud those players, and I applaud those programs that still operate that way. And I say that without sarcasm. I actually mean that. That's sincerity. But the rest of them aren't playing by those rules. They just aren't. So yeah, to answer Doc's question, you start gonna you're gonna start having academies. You're gonna start having a lot more of those. Uh, what's the big academy down there in South Florida and Miami, IMG, right? Which is just a farm system for colleges. That's what you're gonna see. You're gonna start seeing these academies pop up that are gonna be strictly for getting guys prepared for college to go play college ball to go play for big-time programs where there's going to be a ton of NIL money funneled into the programs. The kids are going to get paid to go to college. They're not going to get their degrees, and they're going to move on to the NFL. Because here's the other thing. If there was a step in the line where someone cared enough to say, hey, stop this, it wouldn't be happening. The NFL does not give one iota about whether or not if you got paid to play in college, they don't care if you got your degree. They don't care if you just took nothing but general studies classes and barely got C's in them. They don't care. Can you play football for their team? Yep. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Heck, the NFL doesn't even care about character issues. Oh, you're involved in shenanigans, assault, sexual harassment, sexual assault, drugs off the field? Eh, we'll still draft you. We'll still sign you to an NFL contract. So uh, the NFL has shown they don't care. You think they're going to care if a kid doesn't graduate? You think they're going to care 
if a kid got a massive NIA deal? You think they're going to care if the guy, a kid, played for three different teams or skipped out on their senior season in high school? They should care. We would like them to care, wouldn't we? But they don't. And that's where it comes from. Bottom line, NFL, all about money. College, now, bottom line, all about money. You think that's not going to trickle down to high schools? You think that's not going to trickle down to them? Telling you, you're going to see more and more kids not play their senior season. You're going to see more and more kids possibly opt out of playing in playoff games as a senior in high school to protect themselves because they got an NIL deal waiting on them and they got a college ride waiting on them. That's how it's going to go down. I'm telling you now, that's what's going to happen with the landscape of football in this country. Whether you like it or not, it's coming. Get ready. Got to take a timeout. Great phone call by Doc. Ooh, is he our early front runner for Game Changer of the Week? I think so. We got to take a timeout. I'll make sure there's no more bugs in the studio that are trying to swarm and attack Hannah Five Names. Not to worry, she's protected. You're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, The Houston Astros are one of the hottest teams in baseball, and you can see them live in person. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up (laughs) with our latest Astros weekend getaway. Not to worry, it wasn't a bug. I just coughed. (laughs) Houston takes on the Seattle Mariners on Saturday, July 30th. And you can be there. That's right. Mariners, Astros, inside the big juice box, and you can be there. Go register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score yourself four tickets. That's right, four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid ballpark, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astro Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AEC, Le Meridian, Houston, downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. I'd love to go see an Astros game. Haven't had the chance this summer to do so. Producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names, though, has. She's big time. When you're the producer extraordinaire, you get things done. It's what happens. You get seen. You get heard. You have people wanting to craft, you know, tailor-made jersey shirts for you. You have devoted fans. I mean, it's quite the life. It's quite the life she lives. She's just giving me the business right now. I mean, I killed a bug for her and she gives me the business. It's fine. Poll question of the day is our foodie poll question of the week. How do you prefer to grill? It's summertime. Nothing better than man in the grill, right? You just did it for 4th of July, but that's just a taste. If it was up to you, you'd be grilling all the time. Steaks. Sausage, hot dogs, brats, pork steaks, hamburgers. The list goes on and on. 
But how do you prefer to grill? That's the question. Do you like to grill traditional charcoal? You know what I'm saying. Get your little briquettes up there. You make your little pyramid inside the bottom of the grill. You light them. Then you got to make sure all the briquettes are gray. And that way you can spread them out. And that way you get a nice, even flame. Nice, even flame. Or, plus I like, you know, the smoky taste. Or, do you like the convenience of your big setup, your nice gas grill? I have both, by the way. I rotate between the two. I prefer charcoal, though. My father gave me his grill before he passed, his gas grill, and we rarely ever use it because my wife's like, she prefers the charcoal. So we use the charcoal. I prefer the charcoal as well. But the gas does come in a pinch, become very convenient. Like, I can still grill up on my back patio in a thunderstorm with the gas grill. With the charcoal grill, I take it out in the yard. I can't do that in the rain. It just doesn't work. Do you like the convenience of the propane grill? Or do you like cooking with wood? Old school. Caveman-esque. Like they did on the frontier, if you will. Just wood and fire. Put your meat on an open flame. Or are you a master of the backyard barbecue? Are you a grill master? Do you do all of the above? Some of you have all of them. I know for a fact. I have friends that have propane, charcoal, wood, smokers, pellet grills, the whole nine yards. That's their hobby. That's their passion. Where others spend money on rounds of golf or on pickup trucks or camping, others spend it on their grill setups. Right now, 66% of you say your go-to is charcoal. 11% each propane and wood. 12% say all of the above. Salty Steve has chimed in. I was waiting for him. If acceptable cuisine is on the grill, does it make a difference as to what is prepared on? A, sh- a chef can cook on a hot plate because he knows it is what you are cooking and how you prepare it. All of the above is my answer, not the arrow. It's the Indian. Look at Salty Steve with the comment. Brad on the Twitter says, All I need is a bag of charcoal and my old smoky gas is for amateurs. Ooh. See? See? There it is. Dougie Fresh says, Charcoal. If using lighter fluid, you have to let it burn off before putting meat on the grill. That's right. That's a trick. I can't tell you how many times I see it happen. Shout out to Doug for that comment. If using wood pecan is my favorite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. If you can do that. Sometimes you can add the wood chips to the charcoal as well. You can do that, which I do. But I can't tell you how many times I see it. It's like watching the guys every year pop off fireworks and then explode themselves. Or during the holidays, dropping the frozen turkey into the deep fryer and exploding themselves. It happens all the time. If you're going to use lighter fluid, fellas, you got to let the lighter fluid burn off because you don't want your steak or your brats or your hot dogs or your burgers to taste like lighter fluid. It's a pro tip. Let the lighter fluid burn off. But I can't tell you how many times they just, I see them douse it and they're like, throw it on. I'm like, no. 
or they don't have the charcoal briquettes all equally gray and all burned, you know, all going. They just light it and they're like, oh, I got a flame. Throw the meat on there. No! It's not how you do it. Not how you do it. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. How do you prefer to grill? Overwhelmingly, 66% each of you say with charcoal, 12% for all of the above, 11% each for propane in wood. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming on Facebook and Twitter as well. For right now, though, we got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, we're going to talk all things LSU and college football with our guy, the Mad Dog. That's right. Ron Higgins from Tiger Details is going to join us. Break it all down for us next, right here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Half the week is in the books, which means it's time to talk Bayou Bengals with Tiger Details columnist, the Mad Dog himself, Ron Higgins. Here is Hold That Tiger on RP3 and Company. The LSU Tigers, man, they have had a busy, busy, busy offseason, have they not? Tons of activity, not only with the men's basketball program under their new head coach. Kim Mulkey has been tearing it up on the recruiting trail as well. Jay Johnson has been an absolute madman when it comes to the NCAA transfer portal. He's like a kid in a candy store just picking up stuff left and right there. This is mine. I want this. This is mine. Mommy, I want this. I'm grabbing it. And then Brian Kelly, as we already established, did a tremendous job as well. His first recruiting class with the NCAA transfer portal. And now he's hitting the recruiting trail again. And that has expanded to nationwide. I mean, he's getting guys from Minnesota, Indianapolis, Baltimore to come and commit to the purple and gold. Now, whether or not they actually sign with the purple and gold is a totally different scenario, right? We're not for sure if that's actually going to happen. That said, he's doing a great job. So there's been a ton of activity with the baseball and the football programs. Has Brian Kelly done enough to turn around LSU's fortune, have them be an 8-9 win team in year one of his tenure? Maybe. They can fix that offensive line for sure. Look, they got enough skill position guys. Kayshawn Butte, Malik Neighbors, Jack Besh, all from Acadiana, by the way. 3-3-7, stand up. They got enough skill guys. Can they fix the offensive line, and can they have consistent quarterback play? Consistent quarterback play. That's something that's been an issue. Something that's absolutely been an issue for the Tigers the last couple years. But there's a lot of buzz building about this LSU football team, and rightfully so. Brian Kelly's done a nice job. Remember, he took over a program – that had to take a wide receiver and have that wide receiver play quarterback in the bowl game. 
They barely had enough players to even play in the bowl game. All the opt-outs they had at the tail end of Ed Orgeron's tenure. And, 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 that, and that's one of the things about Coach O. We can talk about the off-the-field stuff. We can talk about you know too many victory laps, not having a handle on his program, being too focused on going to you know Destin with you know 23-year-old girlfriends, whatever. We can talk all about that. But one of the things he did not do a good job with was getting guys to be remain committed to the program. After the national title season and that leadership left the team, he had guys opting out left and right, some not playing the entire season for COVID reasons, allegedly. Other guys just didn't play. And then he didn't have guys committed to stay. He lost his voice. He lost his way, so to speak. And whether or not he can find it is, you know, he couldn't. He couldn't. We're having some technical difficulties, unable to get the mad dog Ron Higgins on the line. We're going to see if we can actually get that to happen. If not, we'll just have him come on at another time. But O kind of lost his way that way. And look, he built it up. He was the new Ed Orgeron. He got everything together. Was the best version of himself as a coach. Was an actual CEO. Had, you know, consultants, veteran coaches helping him make decisions. He actually listened to his coordinators. And then it was back to old O. And just celebrating too much. It's one thing to get to the top of the mountain. It's another thing to stay there. And that's the hardest thing to do. Ask Gene Chizik. I mean, the parallels are LSU fans didn't want to hear it at first, but a lot of parallels between Ed Orgeron's tenure at LSU and Gene Chizik's tenure at Auburn. Gene Chizik had a transfer quarterback that won the Heisman and hot shot coordinator and won a national title. Ed Orgeron had a transfer quarterback that won the Heisman and had a hot shot coordinator and won the national title. Hey, <laughs> just saying. Just saying. So we'll see if Brian Kelly can help turn things around and bring LSU back to where a lot of folks feel like they should be. I think expectations for year one as we head towards SEC media days in a few weeks, which, by the way, we'll be broadcasting live from. That's right. We'll be in Hotlanta from the College Football Hall of Fame, RP3 and company, on the road in July. So we'll crunch time with Miguel Zemesh. More on that later. I think the expectation should be probably eight to nine wins. I think there's enough of talent there. And Kelly's going to bring some sense of order, a level of respect, a level of accountability with the players. And that's what this program needs right now. Are they talented enough to win a conference title? No. But... I look at that schedule, and I think they're going to upset some folks along the way. They're going to win a game that they're not supposed to. 
Look, if LSU can get back eight wins, get to a decent bowl game, that could be the foundation season, and that's something they can build upon moving forward. Because once again, Kelly's already killing it with the 2023 recruiting class. It's going to take him a couple years. You always have to give coaches a few years to get their guys into the program, to get their principles established, to get settled in. You just have to. Took Saban three years to win a title at LSU. Took Miles three years, and he took over a great program from Saban. Took him three years to win a title. Took Ed Orgeron three years to win one. Got to give coaches time. Got to give them time. And if you don't, then you can hurt your program even more so. You can't have knee-jerk reaction. You can't be what the Tennessee Volunteers have been for the better part of the last decade. Got to give your program time to get off the ground. I like Brian Kelly as a coach. I think he's the right guy. Is he going to be a national championship winning coach at LSU? That I do not know. You'd think so. He's far smarter and a better coach than Ed Orgeron and Les Miles combined. But doesn't mean that you're going to win one. It's never guaranteed. But do I think Brian Kelly can come and stabilize LSU and make it respectable again and make it one of the best teams in the SEC? Absolutely. He's just going to need time to do so. Just going to need time to do so. And look, closer to home, I feel the same way about Coach Dez with the Raging Cajuns. Not a popular hire by a lot of folks. A lot of folks behind the scenes said that they were going to go support Billy Napier at Florida. Okay, well, you can like Billy Napier. You can appreciate what Billy Napier brings to the table. But if you were cheering on the Raging Cajuns for years beforehand and you decide to follow the coach, then you weren't a real fan to begin with. You can be, you know, look. Well, I don't, because they hired a local guy. Well, so? Coach Dez is local. You're right. He also played for the Cajuns. He bled the Vermilion and White. He won accolades as a Raging Cajun quarterback. He helped Billy Napier establish the foundation of great success, the process there with the program for four years as an assistant coach. And he got a bunch of guys, some of them to come back to the Raging Cajuns and others. Guys had been there before to all come back to lead this program. Will they be as great as they were the last couple of years? Probably not. There's going to be a dip. They lost a lot of talent from last year's team, which was a veteran-laden team filled with super seniors. But don't be surprised if you see the Raging Cajuns win eight, nine games. That'll be the expectation. I guarantee you that's Coach Dez's expectation. Probably more. That's that. That's under what his expectation is. And then to our friends in Lake Charles. I like what Gary Goff said. I like how he conducts himself. And now that you're a couple years removed from COVID and the hurricanes devastating the program, it's going to take a little while, but golf has proven that he can win. 
at a school with limited resources. He's going to bring the air raid offense, which means you're at least going to see more consistent offense, which you did not see under Frank Wilson there with the McNeese Cowboys. And I fully expect to see a far more entertaining product on the field in Lake Charles. Their night games are going to be prime time. They're going to have their lights on in the stadium. Is it going to be easy? No. The talent pool needs to be replenished there in Lake Charles. You know, Frank did his best, but guys were transferring out because of the APR violations, and then came the hurricanes, and some guys just quit football, and others transferred out. So Gary Goff is going to have to have time to recruit talent and develop said talent, and he's going to hit the transfer portal. I'd expect McNeese to be competitive this year, Probably a winning record. Are they going to be competing for a conference championship in the Southland Conference this year? No. But I think this is going to be a foundation season. And for me, it's going to be fascinating to see all three places. Lake Charles, Lafayette, Baton Rouge. All guys first year at the helm of those programs. Two of them taking over programs that have been down. Another one taking over a program where they've had unprecedented success. And it's all fascinating storylines. Brian Kelly, can he prove that he can coach in the Southeastern Conference after being a great coach in the group of six at Cincinnati, a group of five at Cincinnati, rather, and then at Notre Dame? Can he handle coaching in the SEC? Coach Dez, can he replace someone that had the greatest four-year run in Raging Cajun football history and live up to those expectations and keep the program, hashtag culture, going. Not only going, not only surviving, but striving. Can he prove all the doubters wrong that the local kid can, in fact, coach and deserve the job? And then Coach Goff. Taking over a challenging situation. Frank Wilson survived through APR and the Hurricanes. But that program still needs a lot of talent. It's going to take time. Can he bring an air raid offense that he learned from Mike Leach and others and implement that and change McNeese's fortune specifically on the offensive side of the football? And what will football be like in the hole once again with all their home games in primetime under the lights? All three are going to be fascinating watches this coming fall. Can't wait for it. Unable to get the Mad Dog on, not to worry. We'll try to reschedule, make sure to have them on next week. But we got to take a timeout. When we come back here in RP3 and company, we'll update that poll question of the day. You want to get a phone call in, feel free to do so. Hotline is open, 337-706-0111. That's 337 337- 7060111. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with a new Apple Watch. That's right. Brand new Apple Watch. All you have to do is to win, said Apple Watch, is join our brand new text club. Simply text the word game. 
G-A-M-E, to 337-288-8100. That's 337-288-8100. That's GAME to 337-288-8100. Once you join, you will be eligible to win an Apple Watch. Plus, you'll have tons of chances to score other great prizes like Houston Astros tickets, station swag, and more. It's the game's brand new text club. If you join, you can score yourself an Apple Watch. Find out more at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Woo, I could use an Apple Watch. I would break said Apple Watch, though. I'm just letting you know. I'm hard on watches. If you're watching us on the simulcast right now on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber, you'll notice I do not wear one. I'm not allowed to. Because I will break it with literally in two days. Every time. I will hit a door jam, break it right off. Every time. Every time. Or it'll just stop running for no good reason. It'll just die. Like I'll, I won't, won't do anything to it. My body just rejects it. Says you don't live in the parameters of normal time and space. Done. Maybe I need an Apple Watch. Maybe that'll be what, what I need, huh? Hmm. Producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Name says, maybe so. It's a little tiny screen, though. Like, I got big, fat fingers. I can just see me messing it up, calling people or hanging up on people while I'm trying to touch my Apple Watch, trying to respond to text messages, and it'll just be garbled mess. I mean, I know what you're saying. Well, how's that any different than any other normal day? Correct. You're correct. Poll question of the day. How do you prefer to grill? It's our foodie poll question of the week. It's summertime. It's time to grill. Do you prefer to grill with charcoal? Do you prefer to grill with propane? Shout out to Hank Hill. Do you prefer with wood? Like the Frontier folks did. Or is it all of the above? Let's get to some comments on Facebook. Brian Fox says, prefer charcoal, but working 12 hours a day doesn't leave me enough time to wait for the coals to be ready. So I usually cook on propane and propane accessories. Love the reference to King of the Hill. Also, you're not wrong. Got to probably do it on the weekend. David Ackman Jr. says, the pellet grill. I keep seeing this pellet grill. May need to get me one of those. Oh, Hannah Five Names has chimed in, not telling me this. She shares it with the, the, the people, but doesn't share it with her host. It's fine. It's fine. She bought one yesterday. Yet you don't have enough money for lunch, but yet you got enough money to buy a pellet grill? I didn't buy the pellet grill. Can't about the Kinder grill, but we're together, you said I so. just bought one yesterday, so you took credit for buying one. Yeah, I was there, <laughs> and I got accused that I asked if I worked because we went to Walmart and they asked if I worked there, and I was like, I'm in a tank top and leggings, but yeah, I work at Walmart. <laughs> Brian Gidry says charcoal, and then shares a gif of Hank Hill from King of the Hill. Keep those votes coming. On our poll question of the day, how do you prefer to grill with charcoal, with propane, with wood, or all of the above? That's going to do it for hour number two. Hour number three, we're going to kick it off with Bill Bender talking college football with our friend from the Sporting News. That's next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The landscape of college athletics, in particular college football, is just seemingly ever-changing. Don't feel bad if you're confused by it all because it's a lot to keep up with. Lots of moving pieces, and the current realignment process seems to be so fluid. Will the Pac-12 survive? Will it create an alliance with another conference when that conference will, in fact, break said alliance to poach more teams? Will the Big 12 be aggressive and go poach Pac-12 teams? What will the SEC do? Will the ACC survive? What happens with Notre Dame? Lots of questions, right? Lots and lots of questions. And that's why we decided to bring on someone smarter than yours truly to help answer said questions. He's an award-winning columnist reporter for the Sporting News, one of the best guys in the business. Bill Bender joins us now. Bill, hope you and your family had a great 4th of July weekend, brother. How are you this morning, my friend? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Doing good, bud. Doing good. So, all right. So, let's start off with w- what we do know, and that's USC, UCLA joining the Big Ten. That'll start for 2024. The Big Ten isn't done yet, correct? So, what can you tell us? Who's next up for the Big Ten to go poach and add to their conference? I mean, I think everything's going to be wait and see till Notre Dame goes, decides what they're going to do if they're going to stay in the ACC or are they going to, you know, level up, uh, so to speak, finally take that big 10 step. Are they going to go to the, you know, that, that conference, which has been talked about since I've been alive. I think that would be a potential (laughs) next move. And, uh, you know, that, that, I think that move will dictate the rest of the dominoes in college football. So you believe whatever Notre Dame's decision that will uh, nothing else will get done. So we we can't ex- uh, we don't expect the Big Twelve to make a big splash here. And instead of it being poached like it's been the last couple of cycles, it would go out and take Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado. You don't think that would happen until Notre Dame decision is done? Well, I mean the Pac twelve and Big Twelve may act now. I mean I saw Dennis Dodd's report yesterday. It was obviously. Well reported. Dennis is one of the best, if not the best. Um, so he's on it. Um, yeah, Pac-12, Big 12 mashup makes sense. I mean, the other move, if the ACC does keep Notre Dame and brings them on as a full member, then you have more of a four super conference model. And I think that's something to keep in mind there. So that would be salvageable for those conferences, even though, even if you have that, the Big Ten and SEC would obviously still be the two most powerful conferences in college football. Bill, does, you know, look, a lot of factors go into this. Notre Dame obviously knows how much they're worth, and that's going to be part of if they join, say, the Big Ten. But now all of their rivals are inside the conference except for two, and that would be Stanford and Navy. Would adding Stanford – would that be part of the deal to have Notre Dame join the Big Ten? Do you think the Fighting Irish would say, hey, 
we'll join the Big Ten, but we also want Stanford to be part of the conference. Well, I mean, could, yeah. And, I mean, that creates another. I think for the Big Ten, adding a couple more Pac-12 schools makes sense just from the travel standpoint. That way USC doesn't have to go to Rutgers and go to Ohio State and stay on this side of the country. for. But I'm sure those things have been plotted out and talked about. And obviously Notre Dame, the, the allure of going there over the years has been the ability to travel from coast to coast. And in the current setup, that's no longer a thing. So, yeah, I think um, we'll see what they do. But, I, I, again, I think their move will dictate – everyone else and they've got a tremendous amount of leverage with the conference and how much money they can make through tv deals as a result of that is oregon going to be a program that's going to be fought over by say the big 10 and the big 12 uh maybe i mean they, they're they, they obviously bring a lot from, from a money standpoint with with what they've been able to do they have a lot of resources there they've been very successful but they're not not like they're a all-time college football brand. They're they're a very good school. Um, they've had some great moments, but I, I don't know that they'll be like a huge fight over them. I think the Big Ten holds the the leverage there. It's like to me, it's more Oregon would want to be in the Big Ten over the Big Ten wanting Oregon because the Big Ten now with the brands that they brought in, they again it's all about leverage. They they've got that. But but speaking of the brands, though, I mean, Nebraska was was a brand, but it hasn't made the transition to the Big Ten very well. I guess that leads me by my next question. With so many moving pieces around, Bill, could we see teams that have been part of the realignment shuffle get pushed out of the conferences they're currently in to make way for other teams? I doubt it. I, I mean, that's really hard to do. It's really hard to, like, just kick a team out of a conference. I think you have to leave. Um once you're in, you're in. I, I can't think of too many in, instances where a team was kicked out of a conference. Now, you know, there's going to be questions for those that don't get a chair, you know. Right. Um, you know, why does Northwestern have a chair? Or why does, you know, Vanderbilt have a chair? Those, those kind of things. And, and those schools have been in those conferences for a very long time. But I think the only case that's, that I've read anything remotely about would be Missouri. That if Missouri were to jump to the Big Ten – I wouldn't be surprised, but, you know, that's something that if I'm Missouri, I'm staying in the SEC and taking that SEC money. They've had success in both sports and in the conference. Correct. I mean, uh, people forget they won the East Division the first two years they were in the conference. Uh, yeah, for, for so, I mean, it can be done, right? So, but but I think there's no incentive for, for Missouri to leave the SEC for the Big Ten for the school. We're talking with Bill Bender, award-winning columnist, reporter for the Sporting News, covers college football. He joins us here in RP3 and Company, talking realignment. How surprised were you that the Big Ten got USC and UCLA when you first heard the news or first heard rumblings of it? I mean, it was a shot. definitely an eye-opener. Um, you know, it, it made last week and, and the back half of last week very crazy. Um, a lot of phone calls, a lot of texts, those kind of things. And, you know, it, it's – exciting in some ways it's really surreal in others i mean you know when you grew up in this part of the country usc was ohio state's big rival a huge game i mean when they played in the rose bowl it was a huge game and now you know that rivalry is going to get reintroduced to some people it's just weird to think of 
USC is a Big Ten school given their tradition and history with the Pac-12 and the Rose Bowl. Um, those are some of the things that happen. Let's shift gears to the Big 12. They have a new leader. Um, he uh, does not come from the world of sports. He comes from the world of entertainment. What do you make the hire of the new commissioner for the Big 12? And do you believe it's important for her, uh, him, Bill, to be aggressive here during this uh, reshuffling of the deck, so to speak, for college sports? Well, I, I mean, I, it's too early to say. It's the same with when the Pac-12 hired Klevkov. He had great ideas in theory practiced them, spoke about how the conference hadn't won national championships. And, again, had it seemed, what seemingly was a pretty good plan to, to get the conference back on the national radar. And then, yeah, he loses his two biggest brands. I mean, in the Big 12, the unenviable challenge is how do you keep that conference sustainable without Texas and Oklahoma when they leave? And, I, you know, if those two school conferences merge, it wouldn't be a surprise if there's a mashup of both. But it's still going to be a conference that's going to be a couple legs behind what, what the Big Ten and SEC have to offer. ACC is interesting to me because where the Pac-12 has their media rights uh, expiring, and that's allowed essentially these schools to be free agents, if you will, Bill, the ACC doesn't have that because their television contract is locked up until, I think, 2036. So if someone leaves... It's going to be a huge deal. It's going to be a huge payout. What do you think the ACC does here now, seeing what's going on with the SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12? Nothing's happened. Are they afraid of losing teams? Are they going to try to add Notre Dame? What do you think they're going to do? I mean, Notre Dame would be the best way to solidify the conference. I mean, they, they should be on alert because if the Big Ten was going to claim they had an alliance with the Pac-12 and then they turn around and take – USC yeah. and UCLA, what's stopping them from from going out and taking some of the ACC schools that they want? What's stopping the SEC from doing that? Now for a counterpunch. I mean, those are things that realistically could happen in the new era. So, yeah, I think their, their, their best, easiest play is to go get Notre Dame and have 16 teams, and then maybe we have four super conferences instead of five, and they're just reshuffling the, the old power five. Do you believe that the SEC is working on talking to some teams from the ACC about joining the SEC? I haven't heard anything about that. I mean, I'm sure it's been discussed in in rooms, but I have nothing to back that up. I mean, again, if they were to or to expand, it would have to be, you know, they would probably look at the two Florida schools, Miami, Florida State, Clemson, and make it an ultra-south conference i mean it is the best college football conference it is the best college football baseball conference and, and you would just play kind of like the old coaching tip you know you play to your strengths and that's what the sec would be doing bill what about tobacco road because it seems interesting to me because we're hearing conflicting reports coming out that the SEC and the Big Ten would both like to get North Carolina, but the Big Ten's not as high on Duke, but the SEC is high on Duke. You know, could we see tobacco? Is that is that a package deal if they do leave the ACT? Do you think that would be a package deal in your opinion? Well, it should. I don't know if it would be, but it should be, knowing that, uh, you know, those are two, you know, age-old rivals. They, they have the best basketball rivalry in the country. That was brought to light last year more than ever. 
Yeah. Um, and it's entering a new chapter. So I, th- I think, you know, if you're the Big Ten, it would make sense to take Duke and North Carolina because you add to the basketball that you have. You add to the already really good basketball that you have, and you add two, arguably the two best programs in the country. They have been in the tournament era. So I, I think that is a big prize. And I would think that whatever school gets won, as much as those two are rivals, they would want to be a package deal. We're talking with Bill Bender from the Sporting News. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Are we bound for a lot of people have said we're bound for two major super conferences of like 24, 26, 28 teams and that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to control everything and eventually they're just going to leave the NCAA and create their own essentially college version of the NFL. Is that where we're headed towards, in your opinion, as someone who covers this sport and covers it well? I mean, yeah, it could be. And, again, if those conferences get to 20 and 24, um, it would make the most sense because, again, they would have the most power. They'd have the most teams. They'd have the most influence. They'd have all of those things in the new college football playoff era. And I don't think the playoff is going to be anywhere near expanded until there's some um, – clarity on where those dominoes land they can't expand the playoff till they know what what teams are in what conferences and they're not going to get any work done in those playoff meetings till they know what teams are in what conferences this is all changing and it's seemingly a very fluid situation you and i are, are roughly the same age bill and just the notion of not having a traditional Rose Bowl matchup and, and having teams on the West Coast in the Big Ten is foreign to me as someone who lived in the Midwest for six years. So it, it's still trying to <laughs> trying to wrap my brain around it. I understand the financials of it and, and why this is happening. And television revenue in particular is, is fueling all of this. But is this good for the sport overall, college football in general? Yeah, I wrote about that this morning. I think it can be. I mean, but there's everything has a price, right? So the price is probably a little bit of the soul of college football. And that's what people people keep writing, you know, this is the end of college football as we know it. It's really not. I mean, I have an 11-year-old boy, and I tell him about, oh, yeah, in 1990 there was a split national championship between Georgia Tech and um, – Washington, or no, that was, uh, yeah, it was Georgia Tech and Washington one, Washington, Miami one year, uh, you know, point being there, there have been split national titles. And in the BCS era, there was a split national title with LSU and USC. Correct. So I think it's better. It's going to feel like the NFL. The NFL has the best model of any sport right now and the most interest in it and then any sport right now. And I think it, it pushes the sport forward and yes money and tv are dictating that but and yes there are hostile takeovers and game of thrones type moves by these commissioners but in general i think it's going to spit out a product that's better than what we have right now i talk to you all the time and what do we complain about there's no parody the same old team correct this creates a different package what is this going to do for say the group of five schools or even the uh, the FCS level schools. I mean, a lot of those programs, Bill, are dependent, whether they're in the Sun Belt or the MAC or the Southland Conference or wherever it may be. You know, a, a lot of them are dependent on 
the paychecks they get from playing the bigger conferences, if those conferences continue to expand, those games will likely be removed down the road. Um, are we in danger of having essentially half of college football kind of left behind? Yeah, I mean, that's but, – but, again, that's the price. The, the price is do – does anybody realistically – and I went to a Mac school. I love Mac football. I love watching it. I love my alma mater. But there's never been a time in my life where I'm like, oh, yeah, we're, we're a national championship contender in football. Correct. And I roomed with some guys on the football team, and I love them. But, you know, at, at, when I was rooming with those guys, a victory would have been um, getting to a bowl game. That was a major thing in the 90s. Like, the MAC only had one or two bull bids. So, I think with NIL and the transfer portal and everything that's come, it's made it harder for a group of five schools to compete. Now, does, does college football maybe split off into, you know, kind of like high school where you have divisions? I think that would make sense, too, mm-hmm. because then you would have some, some competition, fun games, more excitement. But but for the group of five schools, the that little jab or knife or whatever you want to call it, they won't be a big boy anymore technically, and that kind of hurts. Bill, when do you think this all realignment will kind of wrap up? I mean, is is there going to be a point where we can take a moment and breathe about it all, and say, okay, this is going to be settled now for at least a couple of years because it feels like it's been a fluid situation for a decade. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to, but that'll always pop up. I mean, we do what we always do when something like last week happens, we all think it's going to happen so fast and these schools are going to move here and these schools are going to do this. We thought that last year when Texas and Oklahoma went to the sec and it took a year for this next move to happen. So there's still time. I think a lot of it will be in conjunction with the 2025 season and these TV deals get that you follow the money, you follow the TV. Right. That's when some of these moves will be made. All right, but I got to ask you, what's your summer plans for media days? How many are you hitting up this year? I'll be a big 10. Um, I think we, we have our, my editor, Bill Trochi is down in Atlanta anyway. So he's going to go to sec and we'll have those two covered and, and we'll watch the rest on TV. But, but I tell you what, big 10 media day is going to be uh very interesting this year. Well, I can't wait, bud, when we get a little bit closer or maybe get you to recap it for us after it's put in the books. Appreciate you making the time. Keep up the great job that you're doing coaching uh, your kids, bud. I know that's a great pleasure for you. And enjoy the rest of your summer, brother. Hey, no problem. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. It's Bill Bender from the Sporting News. It's constantly changing, college football. But he says Notre Dame. That's going to be the next thing to drop. Everyone's kind of waiting to see what happens there. Is the ACC going to convince Notre Dame to come to them full-time? Or is the Big Ten going to be able to do it? We'll see. And I still think you're going to see the Big 12 still try to be aggressive here. And if you're the other Pac-12 schools, are you going to try to survive? Do you just merge? What do you do? It's all fascinating and frustrating and a little disappointing and exciting all at the same time, especially for those of us that grew up, you know, with Keith Jackson calling college football on Saturdays. It's completely changed. And the landscape of college sports driven by college football and television revenue has changed it forever. We got to take a timeout. Want to get a phone call in? Feel free to call us on the game hotline. 337-706-0111. 
That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, those Houston Astros, they've won eight straight. They're one of the hottest teams in baseball, and you'd love to see them live in person. We want to hook you up with tickets, a hotel room, and more. Listen up. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Seattle Mariners on Saturday, July 30th, and you can be there. Simply register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score yourself four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astro Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Le Meridian Houston downtown, and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let's check in on the poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. How do you prefer to grill? 65% of you say with charcoal, 10% say with propane, 8% say with wood, and 17% say all of the above. Let's get some new comments. JPK, the OD, says, spend the 10 bucks, buy a charcoal chimney, no lighter fluid, and 17 explanation points ever. Big Saints fan says 100. That's how he responded to that comment. Also, let's see also here. Who dat forever? Mixing charcoal with wood is the way to go, but I usually don't have a choice but go to go with propane due to the ease and time saving. Yes, that seems to be a, a, a thread here is you use the gas grill because it's more convenient, not because it tastes better. Martin on the Twitter says, can't beat the old smoky and charcoal. Y'all can have y'all fancy smart grills with Bluetooth and all the bells and whistles. By the way, the New York umpires lost to the Pirates last night. World Series team? Ha <laughs> ha! I think not. Tell me another funny joke. Martin is always going to find a way to slide in shade towards the Yankees. <laughs> Big Saints fan says, I smoke more than grill. However, I'm grilling ribeyes today for my daughter's 16th birthday dinner. Shout out to Big Saints fan for that. So keep those comments coming on our poll question of the day. And now we're joined inside the game studios by the man that you hear on the two-minute drill. He also provides you with the traffic reports. And on our sister station, Mustang, he's the midday disc jockey, a term that they, I still think, hopefully still use. It's the legend Steve Wiley joins us. Steve, good morning. How was your 4th of July? Uh, It was quiet. I really didn't do much, just kind of laid low and hung out with family. So you didn't uh, explode a car with fireworks. I saw no, a video I, on social media, not, which no. uh, amused me. Um, because every year you can always count on there, – there's there's things you can always count on. Some dummy dropping a frozen turkey into a vat of hot grease uh, during Christmas when they try to deep fry turkey. That's one. Two, someone blowing themselves up or blowing something up with fireworks during 4th of July. You yes, can always indeed. count on it. And it's usually documented on social media or by security cameras, which I'm here for. 
All right, bud. Our poll question of the day is, how do you prefer to grill? Overwhelmingly, folks are saying charcoal, 65% of the vote. But some votes for propane because people are saying, look, it's just easy. If I'm working 10 hours a day, I don't have time for the charcoal. I just come home, put the stuff on the gas grill, and be done with it. Others say wood, and some are ambitious, and they say all of them because they have their whole life, their passion is grilling. Where do you stand on your preference for grilling? Charcoal. There it is. Uh, the gas grill. Steve, bit- time out. For all the times you've come and joined us in here, it's never been that efficient. Well, of you course always, not. You always <laughs> go on a tirade about the topic of the day, which I love. And today you're like, charcoal. Today's no exception. I'm not done. <laughs> you're just warming up. You're That's like an it. old 76 Cadillac. Your old carburetor That's- needs some time to get going. Okay, bud, I'm sorry. Here's the deal. The gas grill just bit the dust. So I bought a charcoal grill. All right. Now, when you say grilling, you know, if you're just going to grill like steaks, burgers, whatever, yeah, charcoal, there you go. But if you're going to smoke something like a brisket or whatever, yes, you take some wood, some hardwood, soak that in water, put that in there so it smokes a lot. I like that. Now, the, the advantage, of course, of the gas grill is total control of the temperature. And when you're done, it's off. Correct. But, you know, last gas grill I had, I burned through that thing in two summers. Really? Yes. You just, it, sh- it, 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 it couldn't keep up with Steve's That's it. prowess. Yeah, I just, just, <laughs> on the grills. There was just nothing left. It was falling apart after two <laughs> summers. I prefer the taste of anything grilled up on, on a charcoal grill. I like the convenience of a gas grill, and I have both. Right. Um, but my wife, it, it, for her, it's charcoal. And, you know, and it just takes more time. She goes, well, hey, listen, I says, look, I says, if you want steaks, you want me to grill up steaks or you want me to grill up dogs or burgers or whatever it might be, that's great. And we put corn on there, too. You know, sometimes we do vegetables. I go, that's fine, but it's going to have to be on a weekend because I'm not going to be able to start this at like 630 at night. No, because because I, I take my time. I do the pyramid with the the, the briquettes. I let them I let them all get evenly turn gray they're all got the same temperature everything like that uh i see too many guys go crazy with the lighter fluid oh yeah that's why don't you just pour gasoline on it god <laughs> let's have some dipping sauce yeah for, for some the petroleum meat. dipping sauce <laughs> so you say charcoal all day long that's your go-to that's You've had all both, i have now but, i got but, a charcoal grill and now that's you, you, you say hardwood what's your, what's your go-to What's your go-to when you, you um, put the hardwood in with the, the briquettes? Mesquite, pecan. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, it gives it a little smokiness. Yeah. gives it an extra texture. Now, someone of, of us here, you bought a new charcoal grill. Uh, producer extraordinaire, I have to find out through social media. She doesn't even bother <laughs> to tell me this. Yesterday, her and the fiancé bought a pellet grill, which apparently is the big buzzed-about thing. It's replaced the egg as the go-to grill, apparently, that you have to have. Uh, I'll, I'll love to grill. I don't love to spend money on my grilling equipment. Pit so. Boss Diamond Laredo 1000. <laughs> Comes with a Pit Boss app you download. You can change the temperature of An everything. App? and no- Yes. See, see, see. I'm, I'm against all that. I'm against all that. I don't like gasoline in my mouth. That's gross. So no, 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 I have a charcoal grill. I don't need it to be. I don't. I don't need an app to tell me how to grill, or when the temperature <laughs> is. You know, you you know the the status of my charcoal grill right now. 
it's got a hole in the bottom. I've yet to replace it because you know what? I can still grill on it because I figured out a way to to jerry rig it to to that nothing falls out. But I, I'm I don't need a mobile app to tell me how to grill. God no! How to grill? Ability it's- to grill comes with the Y chromosome. <laughs> I did not say that I own that chromosome, but I'm just saying that uh, we used it this weekend and we were able to have a beautiful smoked turkey while also putting on a piece of a full block of cream cheese with a little seasoning on top. Let that smoke in there. Mm, it, was, it was some good stuff. Some corn. I've never used a pellet before. We saw it this weekend at my mom's house, her boyfriend, soon to be fiance. Don't tell her. <laughs> <laughs> she's not listening anyway. Uh, hold on. I hope she's not listening. <laughs> but uh, we used that this weekend, and so kind of was like mesmerized by because we had a little small charcoal grill, like the one you see in like the usual like stereotype barbecue movies where they have a little tiny little thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we just we can't seem to get it right. Like I did better once cooking in a pan our steaks than cooking it on the grill. Steaks are tricky. It takes time. You just can't just go out there and think you got a, a master out of yeah. it. If you know someone, he if, he did. if you know you know Steve, ask the veteran grill master tips on how to do the <laughs> steak off the air. He'll be able to tell you because so many times I've even screwed it up. Where you you, you have to do it. Steak is steak is funny, and if you you can screw up a steak easily on a grill. Of all the things that you yeah. can cook on a grill, you can screw up a steak in a heartbeat. Yes, you can, and I have. Yes, we all have. Yeah, So, but by now, of our options, my go-to would be wood. I like the apple wood. There we that go. beautiful feeling of going camping. With your fan- your fancy grill purchase that you didn't let me know about. Right. Sorry. I'm Thank you. Today, you come with me. I'm going to get it by myself. I mean, the first thing you should do to make up for it is have you and your fiance grill for Steve and I to make up for it. That's a plan. See? Okay, when I get my coffee etouffee, We'll talk. You've been fed before by my wife. Yeah, we were having a coffee duvet. <laughs> That's the best thing she makes, you say. <laughs> All right, I'll make it happen. For the producer extraordinaire, and of course the legend, Steve Wiley. That's going to wrap up our foodie poll question of the week conversation. We got to take a timeout, ran a little late, uh, long there, but that's not a problem. We had some good stuff to discuss there. Steve, appreciate you, Tom, bud. Oh, glad to be here. Thank you, bud. Coming up next... Eric Heisman of the Locked On Astros podcast. We're going to talk all things Stros, winners of eight straight, one of the hottest teams in baseball. That'll be coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. July 6, 1989. Saints president and general manager Jim Finks, the only candidate falls just short of being elected to replace Pete Rozelle as NFL commissioner. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Houston Astros are one of the hottest teams in baseball, winners of eight straight. Alex Bregman apparently has found his groove, almost batting 250 now on the season, third on the team on with RBIs. Jordan Alvarez continues his MVP-like strut, if you will. 
through the year, and the pitching staff is the deepest in baseball. To break it all down for us on just how good this Houston Astros team is right now is the co-host of the Locked On Astros podcast, Eric Heisman, joins us now. Eric, welcome back to the show, brother. How was your 4th of July holiday? Uh, it was great. Uh, Alvarez had that walk-off home run, and I was uh, brought some early fireworks, and that was kind of a bitter day. Uh, we had Jake Odorizzi come back after a seven-week absence uh, after that tendon um, issue, and he didn't look so good. But Alvarez, I guess that was leading up to Alvarez having that uh, defining moment. Uh, he has not never have had a walk-off home run. There it was, but uh, it's just amazing what this team can do. Uh, in this, this the recent history, this team has not been known for coming back, and that was actually the biggest comeback of the season. The previous uh, highest comeback was uh, three runs. So for them to do this and for them to uh, score nine runs yesterday, this is something that the team has struggled with a lot recently. Uh, and like for example, the Astros in the first, the last, um, I believe those last uh, eleven games or something, or ten games or something, they scored. Uh, they allowed the starting pitching had only allowed eleven runs. The last two games they allowed uh, ten runs. So it's just crazy how good the Astros starting pitching had been, and then they kind of hit a little speed bump. But once they hit that speed bump. Alvarez, Bregman, and the crew kind of uh, came back and just did what they needed to do with the bats. Let's talk about Bregman because three, three and a half weeks ago, he was struggling in, in the midst of the worst slump of his career, either in college or in the pros. He's now risen his batting average by 25 points or so. He's hovering around 250. And we heard Dusty Baker talk about how he feels like he's really kind of finding his groove again. Um, what's been the difference that you're seeing with Bregman? What's happening at the plate for him where before he was striking out or just getting, you know, ground outs to now going three for five on the night with a dinger? Well, in the last uh, 14 days, he's been 349 with a 1070 OPS, three home runs, 12 RBIs. Uh, but he just looks more confident. He's getting good swings. And I like the way he said after the uh, 4th July game, or it could have been, yeah, I think it was the 4th of July game. Uh, he said that he's making, he's not swinging at the balls out of the strike zone, except for that one uh, pitch he struck out with at the end of the game. But he's just making, uh, he's always ha um, had a good eye at the plate, but now he's able to make contact on those pitches when earlier in the season he was um, either popping up or something like that. So he's just making better swings, and he's, uh, just making better contact overall. And this is the Alex Bregman that we're used to seeing, not this guy we saw in the first part of the season, the one who was just not really confident. But he is a um, – y'all, um, people in Louisiana and, uh, uh, might know but it, it, from the LSU days, but he's just a cocky guy, and he needs that cockiness. He needs that I'm, I'm the you-know-what. And if, if he has that fire underneath him, He's one of the best players in baseball, and he's starting to get that fire. And I think he needed to move out of that three-hole, maybe hitting fourth. It's helping him behind Alvarez and in front of Gurriel. So I think this is actually a good thing. But mostly, uh, Dusty Baker didn't give up on him. Even when he was struggling, he still kept him hitting third. 
Uh, Baker recognized how important he is to the lineup, and and now he's hitting fourth because Alvarez, uh, he's having such a great season. He's, um, like, leading all these categories. So he was like, you know what, I'm going to move you up to three, and we'll put Bregman back and forth. But Bregman is the key to the Astros season. It does not matter how good Alvarez is. You can't have Alvarez and Altuve and Tucker and Pena carry this team. You need some other contributions. You're not getting it from catcher. You need it from Bregman. And I credit Dusty Baker here, Eric, because Dusty is a lifelong baseball guy. He was a great player, and he's been a great manager. And it's a very much an old-school thought process here is let the guy hit his way out of the slump, right? It's not an analytical approach. It's nothing based on data or metrics. It is, I know baseball. My guy is a ball player. I'm going to let him find his way out of this. It's a very old-school approach, but it seemingly has paid off in a big way for Alec. Yeah, now if this is Jose Siri, that's a different situation. He doesn't have that uh, veteran experience that uh, standing. But if somebody like Alex Bregman, who has that pedigree, yes, you're going to let him hit out of it. So, yes, I agree with that, and that's what Dusty Baker is so good at. He says, no. This is my guy. I'm going to let him just keep on doing that. And that's what they're doing in Guriel. I know they, had, they have J.J. Majevic who's ready to uh, take over. Uh, but we have to remember um, at first base, Guriel is still leading, or at least I think he's still leading the league in doubles. So he is still contributing. He may not be the same guy that won the batting title last year, but he's still uh, making some contribution, making some good plays at first base. We're talking with Eric Heisman of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. Of course, we're talking all things Strohs. I want to switch over to the pitching staff. We focus so much on Verlander and Framer Valdez. Uh, should be an all-star, by the way. We'll see if he is. Uh, but he's pitching phenomenal. His best season as a pro by far. But then you go past that, and they got a bunch of guys who would be solid firm number threes on this uh, on other teams and they're battling out as the three the number four and the number five pitcher uh just talk about that depth in particular past the one two starters i think the way that christian javier is kind of pitching this year he is looking like he could be a number two on most teams he's had a like back-to-back games of uh, 13 or 14 strikeouts his ERA is all the way down to 2.58 on the season with 95 strikeouts and 69 and two-thirds innings pitch. This is the guy that the Astros thought he was going to be when they kind of brought him up. He's somebody who can um, just dominate, and he just has this invisible, and he's, he's finally found the kind of the groove as a starter. And I think on most teams he would probably be the number two pitcher but with the Astros, he's probably the fifth pitcher. And like if Lance McCullers comes back, he may be the one who gets the boot because Jose Arquiti has, I know he doesn't have the best numbers on the pitching staff, but he has this experience in the playoffs that a lot of these guys can't say they have. Um, then you have Jose Arquiti, uh, like I was just saying, who's 7-3 and three despite uh, 4.15 ERA. He has some good games. He has some bad games. Uh, but, uh, like I said, he has that playoff experience. Luis Garcia, who gave up five runs yesterday, uh, but he has a 3.81 ERA. The key is 
don't give up more than four runs. If you give up four runs or less, the Astros are likely going to get you that win. Now, J. Code Rizzi is the uh, – they're going to six-man rotation right now. They went ahead and bumped Justin Verlander back to tomorrow's game, which is Thursday, just to kind of um, save him some innings for October. Uh, he's already at 97 for the season. So, uh, Jake Odorizzi for now is in a rotation, and but he kind of got lit up the other day. But uh, his ERA is 4.04, but it may take him a few games to kind of get back in that rhythm that where we saw him being the best pitcher he's been as an Astros um pitcher but we we haven't even talked about Lance McCullers who finally says hey guys I'm healthy I'm throwing curveballs I'm throwing off speed pitches I'm throwing in the low 90s I'm ready to do some up up downs I'm ready to do some simulated games and once he's ready he's if they're able to stretch him out he would be um, healthy and ready for the playoffs so this rotation could get scary for whoever they face in the playoffs. And Eric, not to mention, the best pitcher in the minor leagues is just tearing it up, dominating the competition, and just waiting to be called up. So not only do they have all that, it's just a wealth of riches when it comes to the pitching staff for the Astros. Eight-game winning streak, bud. We'll wrap it up with this. I love how they competed against uh, the Yankees and the Mets going 7-2 and two against them in that nine-game stretch. They're on an eight-game winning streak. They took care of the Angels, the fighting MVPs, where ESPN writes all these think pieces about how great the Angels are, yet Mike Trout went 0-11 for 11 with nine Ks over the weekend. Uh, and not to throw shade, but, man, you got to get your priorities. It can't just be about two guys all the time. Sorry. But – Right. What do you make of this team and just how they're playing since the month of June began? Now we're in July. Uh, now that Jake Myers is back, I think that it's kind of put some stability back in center field. I think that he looks like he is the real deal, but that does not mean the Astros aren't going to go out there and maybe try to trade for somebody. Also, I think that uh, we've heard James Click say that they could possibly go out and trade a starter for a, some offense, maybe a better center fielder. So make Jake Myers kind of a utility guy, that situation. I wouldn't be surprised if you may see Jose Urquidy or uh, somebody like that be traded in that situation. But um, I don't think that uh, – I know Odie Rizzi would be the one that you would want to trade, but unless he kind of really just jumps out. But that's something but uh, that we've talked about later. But I think this uh, bullpen has been the key to this season. The bullpen was a weakness for the Astros last year. But I'm looking at bullpen right here, and uh, most of the the star guys have ERAs uh, below four. The only guy that doesn't really have a uh, ERA below four, actually everybody who's on the current roster has an ERA below four. And so that's good and just there's some dominant people i know a lot of people have a problem with ryan presley but he gets the job done most of the time this is a complete team the question is do they have enough to compete against the yankees the yankees have probably their best team that they've had since the 90s and early 2000s so uh james click has to ask himself can they compete against the yankees yeah i know they did but it's different in a playoff situation. Eric, appreciate your time as always. Brother, keep up the great work with the Locked On Astros podcast, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. All right, thank you.
we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all next right here on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Oh, I know you love to entertain in the fall for football. Saturdays, Sundays, you love having the friends and the family over. Entertaining is your thing, but listen up. It's time for you to take that man cave, that outdoor living space to another level. It's time for you to go see my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite. You know they already create show-stopping kitchens and bathrooms with their marble countertops. They can also take your man cave and outdoor living space to another level, make you the envy of the neighborhood. Go visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com. Or simply stop by their showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. Lafayette, Marble, and Granite. They can take your outdoor living space, your man cave area to another level. Once again, go visit their website, lmgelite.com. Lafayette, Marble, and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. I want to take a moment to thank our guest today, Bill Bender from the Sporting News, talking all things college football, and Eric Heisman from the Locked On Astros podcast. The Mad Dog has reached out to us. We've rescheduled Ron Higgins for tomorrow. So we'll have Ron Higgins, Les East, and Bob Nightingale on tap as our guests for tomorrow. Final results of the poll question of the day. How do you prefer to grill? 65% of you say with charcoal. 17% say all of the above. 10% say with propane. And 8% say with wood. Appreciate all the phone calls and the comments and the votes for our poll question of the day, which is our foodie poll question of the week. Woo! Good show. Great show. We are barreling towards the weekend with style and substance. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names, owner of the new Pellet Girl. I'm Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.